Welcome to the Cross Line Podcast. My name is Carlos Smith, and I have two special guests with me today. I have the owners of Cam's Coffee Shop here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I have with me Mr. Camden Myers and Ms. Latasha Lewis. How are y'all? I'm good. That's good to know. Um, I'll just tell you guys how I found you. Um, it was actually one of my friends shared a story online, and of course, you know how things go viral. Mm-hmm. I actually... No, I, I love to do a lot of research, and um, I was just digging into you guys' story, and it's just something that really touched me because it's just you don't see a lot of young entrepreneurs doing the things that you guys are doing, so it really touched me. So that's why I'm, I wanted to reach out to you guys because I love your story. So just to kind of start out, tell people, how long have you actually been in business? We have been in business a total of two years, mm-hmm. but I always tell people that all of those years, the, the entire time was not being an intentional business. Mm-hmm. Some of that time, it really was just a hobby for Cam um, to work on some of his deficits and um, to really connect with the community. And gradually, we kind of shifted from like a lemonade stand kind of operation to really trying to have an impact in the community and structure ourselves as a legitimate business. And what made you actually want to do coffee? Of all things. So Cam, um, our whole transition as a company revolves around what Cam experienced in his life. Mm -hmm. So we started as a hobby for Cam to give him something to do. Um, He had been to four schools in three years. We've been to public school, charter school, um, private school, and now we homeschool. Um, But at the time, he was asked to leave a private school, not because of his behavior, but just because um, private schools aren't required by federal law to provide resources for kids with special needs. So lots of private schools don't have the same resources. Um, They had one person on staff um, to be a resource officer for every kid in the school that had special needs. Mm-hmm. And the level of support that he needed at the time was just too great for that school. Um, he had really, really settled in the school and really liked it. So when we were forced to leave, he was super depressed. I think people don't realize that children have some of the same emotions that we right. do as adults. Um, they just call it something different. Like mm-hmm. when they have anxiety, they'll say, like, my stomach hurt. When exactly. they have depression, they just say, I'm sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was clear that he the impact was significant. Right? Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. That's, that's fine. Yes, we'll pause for a quick second and let Cam use the restroom and we'll be right back. It's Cross the Line Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Cross the Line Podcast. Excuse me, we had to pause for a quick second. Um, back to your story, like you were saying, you had to pull Cam out of school mm-hmm. a few times. And I actually saw that on a video on your website. You were saying how some of the kids treated him and the teacher was saying things. What do you think schools could do for kids that have some and may need more attention with special needs? The unique thing about Cam is that we knew he had deficits, but he didn't have a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so what happens to you, um, if you don't have a diagnosis by a certain age, you don't receive the same services as a kid who has a clear diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So even though he had some delays and even though there was some impact in his education, he didn't have a diagnosis. And so I think people just aren't sympathetic. That's just like certain illnesses command a different reaction from people. Right. When you have what they call an invisible illness, something that nobody can see, people aren't sympathetic. But mm-hmm. if I said to you, I have cancer, you immediately connect and understand the impact on my life mm-hmm. and you offer something different. Um, I think the other thing is that Cam is a brown boy. There's mm-hmm. no... There's no, you know, so the expectation of him is already different. Um, The type of education he could possibly receive is already different. Um, And the way he's viewed by our society has a direct impact in the classroom. And we will be lying to ourselves if we said that he didn't. Do you, do you, in the future, do you see things changing with kids that may be in camp situation going forward in the school system? I think it takes um, a force to demand the change. Like, We are really big in our community um, in our own way, Mm -hmm. because if you go to any special needs classroom, I can't speak for other places, but in this city, 
you're going to see a large percentage of African-American males. Mm -hmm. um, some of those placements are justifiable. Some of them are not. Mm -hmm. So in our state, in order to graduate from high school, if you're not in mainstream, you have to complete so many, so many community hours um, working like an apprenticeship. It, it counts towards your um, the requirements for you to get your completion of certificate because mm -hmm. they don't get a high school diploma which in and of itself is a trap mm -hmm. so you graduate from high school without a high school diploma you just get a certificate of completion mm -hmm. okay so that's trap number one then they have to do 230 hours of working for no pay that's crazy that's trap number two mm -hmm. um then some of the same stigma that comes with being a kid who is not considered to be up to par is trap number three. So I always ask for the students who are the hardest to place because I know that's going to be African-American males, whether it's because of behavior or if it's because of cognitive issues. Mm -hmm. um, when you take them, when you agree for the placement, they will send someone like a job coach with them. I always refuse the job coach because the connection that you and I have is not going to be based on this opinion that this person over here already has of you. So right. when you come into Camp's Coffee, you come in with a clean slate, you come in with clean opportunities, you come in with lots of support. I never have any problems. So so you're saying school-wise that you are you're, you're able to pick some of the students that come work with Camp? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. So we have that program where we take students from the school system. Okay. Um, the young man sitting there now, that's Austin. He's from the school system. Mm -hmm. Then we have employees who are young adults. I think the oldest employee we have is 35. Um, and that's just something totally separate. Um, so we do both options. We okay. have students who come in and that's usually how they transition into employment here or somewhere else. The biggest thing for the students that come in for me is really just some self-assurance and some, some support. Lots of these kids have no support in various ways, whether it's home life, school life. They just don't have good support. Right. Then they have bad experiences that furthers their self-concept. So if you take a kid, you leave them here for six to eight weeks, I'm reinforcing your self-image. I'm reinforcing your ability to be independent. I'm reinforcing your ability to be an effective part of society. And it doesn't matter of anybody else's impression. So Cam is not my only kid with um, disabilities. My oldest son, who is 12, has autism. And I've always taught them how to advocate for themselves. And I've always taught them how you have some things that will limit how you process information or how you function, but it doesn't mean you can't do things. Absolutely. You just have to have a system that works well for you. 100%. So whether that's behavior or anger or cognitive, you just need a system that works for you. But that's not what we treat, what we teach in special education. We teach you to be subpar because we we reduce what we demand of you. And I just feel like it's just the school system is just so flawed. It is just completely flawed. And why do you, why would you why do you think? Because um, I'm kind of right there with you. Why do you think that they, if for 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 African American males, why do you think it's just so different? People have a hard time hearing this. Um, my background is education, mm -hmm. not coffee. All my degrees are in education. Okay. Even now, I'm f finishing up my doctorate in curriculum instruction and, and assessment. Not because I want to go into the school system, because you can't correct a system that corrupt. You just right. can't. You have to create an alternative mm -hmm. that will give parents something else to consider when it comes to educating their kids. Sure. But it is a system just as vicious as the prison system. Mm -hmm. We don't see it that way because we expect it to be something else. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. Schools receive money based on need, right? Mm -hmm. So the more kids you have on free lunch, the more money you get. Mm -hmm. It works the exact same way with special education. Wow. The more kids you have in special education, the more federal dollars you receive the worse those kids' diagnoses are, the more money you receive. So there's supposed to be um, an era of margin around a test. So if you're taking a test and your scores say you're right on the line, like you could have a disability or you could not. It just mm -hmm. could be a bad test day. That's what the era of margin is for. Whoever is reviewing the test decides which way you go. 
Wow. Do I flip you over so no, you're not in special ed? You know, you just need some support, mm-hmm. retest, whatever. Or do I make the decision? And the re- I don't people realize sometimes when they're taking, assessing these this information, they've never met the kid. I'm, I'm solely going off of what's in front of me. But if I flip you this way, that school automatically gets more money. Mm. Um so it's kind of like it's a business for them. It's like absolutely. It's, that's all it is for them. It's absolutely a business. My son was, my oldest son, not Cam, was being interviewed for um, a state-funded program when he was two. That's called early intervention. And it's designed that when you see your kid may be developmentally delayed early to step in and offer you some resources. Because if it's just, you know, there's nothing major wrong, they just need more support. The state steps in and kind of offers you that support. So while I'm um, while we're having this done, I own a daycare. So I'm constantly taking assessments and aware of where he is, who he is. Well, I go have this state assessment done and they come back and they tell me that my son is profoundly behaviorally and emotionally disturbed and I'm looking around because I'm trying to figure out what kid whose kid are we talking about clearly you're not talking about my son Mm -hmm. and so of course you have to be mindful because when you react a certain way you're not heard because you're an angry black woman exactly so instead of being an angry black woman I'm gonna be an educated black woman Mm -hmm. I don't say anything I take the assessment I go get a psychologist pay for it out of my pocket to use the exact same assessment that the state used to assess my son, right? Mm-hmm. Then I allow my insurance to hire another, because you could say he was biased because I paid him. Mm-hmm. So my insurance could care less. So I let my insurance company send him to another psychologist, developmental psychologist, use the exact same assessment and also run a test. So now whenever you have two, three types of data, it's called triangulation. You mm-hmm. triangulate the data. It's like getting an average. This guy and this guy are maybe two points within each other. They're both saying the same thing about this kid. It's only the state that's telling me there's something profoundly wrong with my Mm. kid and he needs to be in some sort of state where they receive federal money program immediately. So I never revealed to the state my background. By now, I have a master's degree in early childhood education. So there's nothing that you would see about my son that I don't see. So when we have the next meeting, I bring all the information. I tell them what I've done. I tell them that clearly either there was a mistake made or you intentionally labeled my son for a monetary gain. Mm -hmm. So then the question was, well, what do you do for a living? You want to know more about it because Mm -hmm. you want to know how I know. Mm -hmm. But think about the number of parents who trust the system to do what it's designed to do, which Mm -hmm. is educate children. So you listen to them, and if you're in poverty, them having a certain type of label gets you additional income. So we sell our kids for an extra $200 a month. They're stuck in special education from now until eternity. And and that's scary because sometimes you you can tell, even though a child can be fine, if you tell them that you have special needs, sometimes those kids will actually believe what you're actually telling them. And it's like, why... Why would they do something? As it a just man doesn't make thinketh, sense. so is he. Mm-hmm. You can take the most broken child and give them something different to think on, to meditate on, to ponder on, to believe. And you'll see a totally different kid. I've seen it with my own kid. Absolutely. I actually interviewed, um, we actually sat down with Miss Taylor Spencer. She was actually a teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, we sat down with her a couple of months ago. And she just, she, when she talked to us, she was telling us that, she left the school system to become an entrepreneur because she has a tumble bus in Charlotte. And mm-hmm. she was just like, she just felt like the school system failed the kids because they didn't teach them the different things that they actually needed. And they were just like, and I asked her, do she, does she feel like they intentionally leave some things out of the, the curriculum? And she said, yes, she, she feels like they, they do at times. It's like, cause it's like some stuff that they don't want the kids to, to know. And I'm just like, it's, I just wish it was some kind of way that we could kind of, would you have any kind of suggestion as to how, Public school is designed to produce mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Like there has to be a segment of our population that's just the middle of the road. Mm-hmm. There's a reason rich people send their kids to better schools. And it ain't just because they don't want them hanging out with your kid, because that's the only way you get better information. Mm-hmm. Our school system is not about as much as we would like to think it is. 
really producing the best type of education that we can. That's why charter schools are so powerful because lots of times they come in a community and they've got different concepts. They don't use traditional means of education. Mm-hmm. Most schools, not all, most schools today look just like a look just like a classroom from the 1950s. Do we talk on the same kind of telephone we talked on in the 1950s? Absolutely not. Absolutely Everything not. is completely TV, different. Like, nothing's, mm-hmm. So why is education... I, I got the same education that my parents, who are 25 years older than me, received. The information may be a little different, but the structure of how it's given to me. You have to adapt with the times. It's like you cannot, we can't stay in the same way as things were in the past. Mm-hmm. There are other countries who have less resources, who have better education for our children. Mm-hmm. Um, when you and, and Japan and China, that's something totally different. Like they're they're on steroids. It's so advanced. But when you look at countries like all the Scandinavian countries, most of those countries don't even require kids to come to school till seven. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for that. For us, we this it used to be that kids went to school at seven. The more moms start working, the more earlier they let kids come to school. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about giving them a better education. It was about having an effective workforce. Mm-hmm. So if your mom needs to go to work, okay, well, then we'll let you come to school at six. Eventually, you came to school at five. And now in some states, there is universal pre-K where you start going to school at four. Mm-hmm. My son goes to a, a pre-K, but it's, and they, they, they work with him and everything. He had some trouble with some of his, plus his teeth fell out really early mm-hmm. when he was three years old. Oh, wow. But they, they, they trying to work with him. But it, it, to me, it does feel like in a sense, the way that you were saying it is that it's like they, they bring us in early and kind of mold us into where they want us to be in society. And then that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's not just race, it's classism. classism. Because people who can afford to give their kids a better education do. Mm-hmm. It's only the people whose parents can't afford the other options who are stuck in public school. Absolutely. And it's such a big gap between the rich and the middle class. And it's and it's, always, it's like the gap is getting bigger and bigger. The more I read books, like I was telling my friend Calvin, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. My husband loves that book. I, I love that book. And I actually read his um, one of the other books he came out with a few years ago called Second Chance. Mm-hmm. And it's and he, he wrote Rich Dad back in the late 90s. And this book came out around 2015. Okay. And he was just saying how things back then in the 90s he couldn't really say, but up to this point how things have changed. And he was just saying that the gap is only going to get bigger and bigger between the rich and the middle class and the middle class moving down to like the poor side Absolutely. of the scale is because Absolutely. they they know so many more things that we don't know and it's like they they try to keep us out of that out of that uh absolutely and entrepreneurship every kid in my house has a business not mm-hmm. just cam every kid that lives in my house has a business because entrepreneurship is the easiest way to overcome social economic factors mm-hmm. and it does not take a lot of education to be an entrepreneur that's just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur you chase skill sets and so my husband is a doctor he has a phd in higher education i'm working on it so we're not awesome. anti-education mm-hmm. We're anti-debt because we have the debt that come along with each one of those Mm -hmm. college degrees. We're anti-debt. We don't want our kids to be in their 30s and 40s still trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. The freedom of entrepreneurship is like Cam has Cam's Coffee Company. It's a legit coffee company. He has an investor. He has an Ellis. He has structure. But at 15, if he doesn't want to do Cam's Coffee anymore, he now has an asset. Uh Mm-hmm. That he can wield around to make life work for him. He gets to make some decisions. Um, we homeschooled this year. He spent the bulk of the this year working. It's acceptable in our society that when you graduate from high school, you may not go right off to college. If you got money, you get to go to Europe for a year. Right. If you us, you get to go to work for a year. Mm-hmm. You may go off to college. We let him go work at ten. He still gets an education, but we let him work at ten. We let him explore. And it's about giving the exposure. Giving him the exposure. Mm-hmm. And that's up every day. And that's what we talk about in so many of my interviews, especially with Taylor. We were saying that when we, growing up, I'm only 27, but I felt like when we were in school, we were actually, that's how we were taught, you know, at go, go to school, make good grades. And then after you graduate high school, you go to college. And after that, you go work for somebody else. It's not necessarily we were exposed to entrepreneurship that way. So... I didn't really know about it, really pay attention to entrepreneurship until maybe like a couple of years ago mm-hmm. when it was finally, it actually just 
it was, it, I came to a point where I was working two jobs and then I just quit one because I was like, I don't want to live like this. And with student loans, it kind of made me um, resent school a little bit because mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I went to school, got a degree, and I'm paying back so much money in, in student loans. And I'm like, I'm still barely, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. So I'm like, let me figure out something I want to do. And this is how my podcast came about because I was like, I love to, you know, study and read and travel and, and interview other entrepreneurs and figure out what they did to over, overcome adversity. And that was just like school never really taught us about being running our own business. It taught us to be employees and working for somebody else. Absolutely. Because as African-Americans, that was the only option we had. Mm-hmm. You can become a teacher, you know, a nurse, all the good jobs required a degree. So even though society has shifted, sometimes the thought in our community has not. I had a conversation with a lady from the city who's over our minority and uh, women's program. She controls, if you want to get a contract with the city and you are a minority-owned business or a woman-owned business, she controls giving out the money. Last year, she gave back $75 million that the city had allocated for African-American or minority-owned contractors. Of course, the question is why? She was like, because I couldn't find a skilled black electrician. I couldn't find a skilled black plumber. Um, I couldn't find a skilled black brick mason because we're telling kids it's for your college or nothing. If you aren't good enough to go to college, then just go work somewhere. But trade school could produce just as much income for you Mm -hmm. as a four-year degree with less debt, less time. Mm -hmm. And you could immediately be in control of that skill set. Usually with a degree, you got to go work for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I constantly heard was lack of experience on top of all of this. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you get experience if nobody gives you a chance? So it was just like, I was like, I doesn't really make sense to me and it's just the like you're saying that the debt that it puts you in i was like i don't if i had the chance again i don't know if i would necessarily go to school maybe not right away Absolutely. i probably would just go work figure out what i want to do first and then maybe go go to school then because like for my situation i just kind of felt like <clears throat> and my parents never forced me to go to college mm-hmm. i just felt like at school, that's what kind of like we were supposed to do. That makes you look good. Every you know, exactly. if you ain't going to college, what you doing? Exactly. So this decides you're not going to college. It, it's it's look bad upon. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it is because of what re- typically happens when we don't go to college. Mm-hmm. We usually get a car. We get some sort of deal. Now we got to work, and it keeps us from going to college. We don't have a plan like they have. Exactly. We don't have a, a concrete thing. I was talking to a young man. He wants to go into the police academy. Can't go into the police academy until you're 21. He's 19. So my question is, how do you stay out of trouble between 19 and 21? Just the nature of boys. Y'all knuckleheads between 19 and 21. Mm-hmm. You got this goal, but what's the plan? What you going to do? How you going to stay out of trouble? Where you going to live? Where you going to work? What you going to drive? He hadn't thought any of that through because nobody's asking that question. And we don't say to our kids, you have options. Go to trade school. Welders make extremely good money. It takes you six months to be a certified welder. Just like that. Do it long enough just so you got money in your pocket. Mm -hmm. If you decide two years from now, I'm sick of being hot in that welding mask, don't do it. Do something else. The community college system in North Carolina is strong. I have one, two, three, four, five different either degrees or certifications from the community college. Mm -hmm. When I finally went to get my undergrad, I think you can only transfer in 70 degrees from another school or community college. The lady in the guidance office called me. She said, I think they made an error on your transcript. I was like, what do you mean? She was like, you have 132 community college credits on one transcript and they say you have another. I said, no, that's right. I did stuff in seasons. If I wanted to do this for a season, I got the certification for it. I did it. If I changed my mind, I went and got something else. But did, did she know what she did she know what you looked like before that? Or did yes, she just she did. See, and that's another thing. Uh-huh. She knows what you look like. So it's Absolutely. like why how, how did you get so many? Mm-hmm. That's busted my behind um, here one of the local colleges community colleges you know most people don't take more than 15 16 credit hours that's mm-hmm. a lot it's usually about four or five classes yep. if you take anything over 16 credit hours it's free mm-hmm. 
So once I realized that I could go and get two to three free classes in a semester, I would take 28 hours yeah. in a semester. Easy. And then I realized that some of the degrees overlapped. Like in education, there was only three classes different between this degree and that degree. Mm -hmm. So I made up my mind, I'm going to get them all. Because it only take a few extra classes. All my core classes counted for all the degrees. Right. So I'm going to do the little extra classes so I can get all three of them. That was a great way to do it. Somebody's got it. But think, and it, it, I got all of that faster than my friends that went to four-year colleges. And the four-year college. And, and on top of that, the four-year college, they make you take so many different classes that you don't even need. It's just like pointless. It's like I'm just throwing this money away because for me, I had art history and, and world music and, and, and stuff like what that. What did you want to do? What did you want to do? With well, that? honestly, when I went to school, um, I went in for um, computer science, information management system. And, they, and I, I basically wanted to work with computers just because of the money. So really, I didn't really... And I really didn't care about it. And towards my senior year, I kind of got burned out doing it. So I said, you know, it's almost time to graduate. If I'm going to do something, I want to do something I really care about. So, of course, I love sports. So that's when I ended up getting a minor in mass media. Okay. And um, so my senior year, when I finally got a, I got an internship covering the, um, the Carolina Panthers and the Charlotte Hornets. And I had a chance to cover NASCAR. Um, I did some baseball events. Um, I just did a lot of different things like that. So once I really got exposed to going to those events, I was like, this is the field that I know I really want to be in something sports related. But of course, after I got graduated, it was just the lack of experience that gotcha. I constantly kept hearing. So, um, of course, after that, just tell about my, about my story. Um, I ended up getting a job at a radio station. Um, and I, I stayed there for about maybe six or seven months. And then, of course, Sally May came knocking and I had to pay. They wanted me to pay $500, like right off the bat. And I couldn't afford it. So that's why I ended up having to pick up another job. So I was working two jobs, just back and forth, back and forth. I work all morning and then later on through the night. So it was just constantly. And I just felt like a robot. And I was like, this is not how we should tra should train everybody to be like. It's, it's like we're programmed. That's all we know is like just to go to work, just work, work, work at the high school. So and that's when I was like, you know what? Let me just stop this and. I don't care. I just I'll just go all in on on what I want to do. So that's why I started. This is how actually how the podcast came mm -hmm. about because I was just like, it's no way. Life is not meant to be lived like like this. Like you just and I, and I know this may rub some feathers, but it's it's kind of like a um it's like it's kind of like a in a sense like a slave mentality. Mm -hmm. And it's just like and then the thing in the way that they kind of talk to us at jobs at times, it's just like. There's no way this is like, life is not meant to be lived this way. So I just had to figure out something totally different because it's just like, and, it, and it's something else that kind of bothered me is I, I see some of my friends on Facebook talk all the time about, yeah, we're going, we're going to work. Like I was telling Calvin, we're going to work these uh 12 hours, seven days a week. Mm. And it's like, Ooh, that's, that's a lot. yeah, and it's like they're comfortable with it. It's like. And it's like that's all that they know is just to get up and go to work mm -hmm. and work and work and work and just give throw your give your life to somebody else, put it in somebody else's hand all the time. And I was like, I'd rather go the entrepreneurial route and, and just figure things out and be exposed to more options for me personally. I totally agree. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the one thing because of the challenges that both our sons have, traditional school, traditional employment just may not be an option for them to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, but they can always create an opportunity for themselves. Any skill that you have has value as long as you help people see the value add. So you use your skill to meet the need and as long as people have a need and you have a skill to fulfill it, you'll always have work to do. Um, and so that's kind of what we try and get them to see. So Cam has the coffee shop. Um, my daughter that's in the coffee shop now actually bakes all of the baked goods for the coffee shop. Okay. So that's her own separate business. So we buy baked goods from her. Okay. And then we help her get other contracts um, for her baked goods. Lewis um, is into music and beats. So most of our commercials that you hear online, Lewis created the money, I mean the beats, and we pay him for his awesome. music. And so now he's 12, and so now he has other contracts around the city where he creates soundtracks for like social media campaigns. That's awesome. Everybody in my house has a business. And it's not about the money. Mm -hmm. 
It's about the mindset. Absolutely. The entrepreneur mindset is a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. And it will not only create wealth, but it's also the way that we're going to be able to solve some of our most daunting global issues. And you learn so many life skills. Sorry to cut you off. Life life skills. You just learn so many life skills. Problem solving, communication, leading, thinking outside of the box, being independent, being resilient. That's not stuff you learn in a classroom because you're told to do things in the exact same way. Even just risk taking. Mm-hmm. You've got to, as an entrepreneur, you've got to have enough gumption within you to throw caution at the wind at times mm-hmm. and just go for it. And you've got to have enough gumption to bounce back from failing. Mm-hmm. Failing is a product, part of success. You can't have success without failure. Absolutely. So you can't give these kids a safety net. And um, we play Uno, and somebody was like, Do you let them win? Ah, I did when they were learning the skill. But now that you got the skill, is everything nah, from Central exactly. Yeah. And you said something that, that was uh, so pivotal. Like, at, like I was telling about Robert Kiyosaki's second book, Second Chance. He was saying that in school, they they criticize you for making mistakes, and it's like in life you need to learn make those mistakes. That, that way you can learn from them. school. Is all about being right and always never making mistakes. Period. But in like in like life, you're gonna make mistakes and you gotta learn from them. Just keep correcting and make and. Um, Fix your issues and different things like that, but it's like the school system doesn't doesn't want you to do those kind of things. It's like you say, it's like a different mindset. It is, and we have to think differently because of their ability level, right? Mm-hmm. So, like Cam is ten, and he has nerve damage in one arm. That was one of the reasons why we chose coffee because serving coffee makes him work the arm over okay. and over to serve you something. But um, like he's ten, he can't tie his shoes. At one point in time, he was super embarrassed because he's always been really big for his age. So people would say stuff like, I'm tight shoe, tight shoe, tight shoe. And he would avoid it and not acknowledge it, not to be disrespectful, but because you are publicly highlighting an insecurity. And you won't let it go and move on. Like you just keep saying, Hey, did you hear me say tie your shoe? Yeah. And so finally I had to say to him, You gotta stand up for yourself. When someone says tie your shoe, you say to them, I can't. Would you like to help me? Surprisingly, when he says that, the next thing people say is you too big not to know how to tie your shoes. And the lesson in that, I've had to set people straight because the lesson in that is you don't know what someone struggles with. Absolutely. But if you highlight something, he acknowledges that he doesn't know how and he says, but would you like to help me? That's not the chance for you to criticize him for what he doesn't know. That's an opportunity for you to step in and help. In our house, the mindset is there's always a problem, but there's always a solution. Even if the solution does not produce the full result of what you want, there's always a solution. So when they would cry and get upset, I'm absolutely, they know what I'm going to ask. What's the problem? Give me the details. Okay, now what's the solution? Fix it. Absolutely. How important is it for you to, you know, for kids to, to make all kids feel like special or make it feel like they're every, is it important for you to make it feel like Cam was like everyone else? No, because whether he had a brain injury or if he had freckles or if he had, we're all going to be different. We mm-hmm. all have different um, uniqueness. We all have different strengths. We all have different weaknesses. Mm-hmm. The thing that most powerful thing that we could do for kids is to teach them the gift of acceptance. Right. If we would Mm. teach kids the gift of acceptance, I don't have to agree with everything about you to accept you. I just have to acknowledge that we're different and you have every right to be who you are. And I have every right to be who I am in a space that's supportive. We support what's familiar to us. We shun what's different from us, good or bad. And that's not just kids, that's adults. Mm -hmm. So when we teach kids that they are the norm then we teach them that there's something wrong with everything that's not like mm-hmm. them. And that has nothing to do with ability level or color. Like there's always going to be something about you. That's not like me. Right. And as long as I understand that I can go in any environment and be comfortable with me and be comfortable enough to let you be you too. Mm-hmm. And I kind of get that feel, you know, about in a way like entrepreneurship, when you talk to people about entrepreneurship and having their own business and different things like that, some people's mindset is like, they give me, they give you a look sometimes like, what are you talking about? Or I don't think I'm gonna, I want to go that route. It's, it's just like a different, it's just a different look. It's like you were saying, it's like people just don't want to hear. Sometimes I even ask people about stuff like that and they, they like, no, nah, I don't really want to, 
I ain't, I ain't really, I'm not really on that. What are you talking about? It's like, nah, I, don't worry about it. I'm, I just want to do something else. Society teaches you that to be an entrepreneur, you got to be this, you got to be that. And you really don't have to be any of that. Mm-hmm. As long as you have a product or service that meets a need and people are willing to pay you for it, you are an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Even if it's selling plates out your house, you are an entrepreneur. If you keep your homegirl kids three days a week, you are an entrepreneur. You're selling her a service. Mm-hmm. You get compensated for the service. It's not as deep as we try to make it. Mm-hmm. Now, to grow that entrepreneurship to a certain level, yes, it takes skills, it takes time, it takes investment, whether it's your energy, money, whatever. Mm-hmm. But to get started, to get immediate, I have always been in the mindset, when when times get tough for us, I go to hustling. I got something around here somebody won't pay for. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's my intellect, whether it's my ability to teach and educate kids, to so I always have a skill set that I can go out and make some quick money. We want to know pawn shop, pawn some of these skills you got, mm-hmm. pawn some of this intellect you got, pawn some of this time you got. Absolutely. What's your um favorite thing for entrepreneurship? Um, what's your favorite thing about being an entrepreneur? Would you so say my favorite thing about being an entrepreneur is the freedom, mm-hmm. um, like. I want to be able to be anywhere in this world and dollars are still coming in. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. And it takes a different type of hustle and mindset to get to that because you got to structure stuff so that it works without you. And a lot of times for entrepreneurs, it's even myself, that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I want my entrepreneurial journey to show my kids that nobody writes your story but you. Mm-hmm. You are in complete control. I don't care what diagnosis you have. I don't care what they say you can and you cannot do. I tell Cam all the time, like he was super embarrassed about tying his shoes I said you know what if you make enough money you can pay somebody to tie your shoes that's true and if you pay them well and treat them well they'll gladly tie your shoes all day 100% every day Mr. Camden your shoe is untied sir would you like for me to tie it now or later absolutely understand the value of money understand the value of your time understand the value of who you are if you pull all of that together Freedom exists for you however you want it. Like you may not want to make as much money as I want to make. I may not want to make as much money as you. We all have individuality that shapes why we hustle the way we hustle. But it's the freedom to hustle. It's the freedom to decide. It's the freedom to decide I want to own this. It's the freedom to decide I want to make enough money so I can just live in a little house by the beach and never go have to punch a clock. That's the freedom. Mm -hmm. That's what I love about entrepreneurship is the freedom Plus, like, you don't have the limitations. For me, I was like, I don't want the when just getting an opportunity. Entrepreneurship is like, I don't know what I can accomplish because because I feel like I can do anything that I want to do. And it forced me to, you know, step out of my comfort zone because just doing this had I if I never started doing this, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Right. Or I wouldn't the trips that I make down to Charleston or Atlanta, different places I have on my list. Um. If I didn't go the entrepreneurial route, then those things wouldn't be there for me. And if, and with a job, it's like they'll it's like they tell you what you're worth. Even right. if you even if you feel like you're worth more than that, they're only gonna give you a certain amount and like this is your worth and we expect you to be here at this time. And just something about that just didn't sit well mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, at times, you know, having to ask somebody, hey, and of course I still have a job and I do this as well. So I'm still trying to separated trying to get away from it but it's like you have to ask them hey can i be off at this time when you really have to be someone with family you miss so many different events in people's lives because you have to work so and entrepreneurship gives you that freedom so that's what i and it's not like you said it's not always about money for me it's not about the money it's about that freedom and just showing people that if i can do it then you can do it as well all it takes is a dream and a work ethic Mm -hmm. everything in between those two things you can figure out if you got the dream, you got the work ethic to work towards it, the how you're going to do it, the when you're going to do it, how long it, all of that can be sorted out. You just need the dream and the work ethic. Absolutely. Just a few more questions. I know you have to, you have to go. Um, are there any other services? Kind of talk about business, the business that you um, offer children that come work here. What other services that you So um We do lots of individual kind of one-on-one support. The goal for us is not for people to come work for CAMS and stay at CAMS. Mm -hmm. Um, We really want these individuals to find valuable employment somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, When you think about your life, 
we all need three things. We all need um, somewhere to live. We all need some sort of education. And we all need some type of employment. Mm -hmm. All of those things are hindered when you have certain types of disabilities. You may never live independently. You may or may not ever find gainful employment. Um, and your educational opportunities are often limited. Mm -hmm. And so we try to address two of the three. So that's why we focus on teaching you how to advocate. We focus on giving you certain skill sets so you can go on to find employment somewhere else. Now, some of our employees, because of the, the nature of their disabilities, they'll probably always be at CAMS. And that's okay. okay. But we want everybody to have their own path decided by the things that they want to do. Mm -hmm. Lots of times with this population, someone else decides what your path looks like. Um, like your job coach or your social worker, your caseworker will decide your skill level or your ability level means you can do this versus saying, OK, how do we give you the skill sets and the support so you can do this instead right. of looking at, OK, as long as they got something is good because Walmart will let you be a greeter. Mm -hmm. McDonald's will let you clean the bathrooms. Yeah, it's true. And we often tell this population that those they're, they're, those are their options. That's mm -hmm. that's where they fit in. And it's not always yeah, true. You just got to give them more options. One more of the things options. I love with a motivational speaker, Les Brown, he said something profound that I like was don't let somebody's perception of you become your reality. Meaning it's just because they, like you were saying, like the test scores and things like that, don't let that define you like, hey, these are your scores. This is all you can do. It's like you can always do more than that. And that's that's something I, I really love about that, that um, line from Les Brown is don't let somebody's perception of you become your reality. Absolutely. And because I just people only look like you said, with us being of color, it's always it's already like we're at an advantage. There's one strike against us. Mm -hmm. So it's like either most of the time it's like either we become an entertainer or we're an athlete. Mm -hmm. And that's how they perceive us in society. In which we're more than, and that's why I have the shirt on more than a job is mm -hmm. because a lot of us in the working class, like we're like job CS is just that, it's just as employees, and like we're more than that. We're we're entrepreneurs, and we're mentors, we're leaders in our community as well. And like you were saying, it's just like they only look at us a certain way. Oh, absolutely. There are lots of people. If you don't know our story, you know, you just kind of casually find us because this is a business district. Lots of people come in the shop. And you can tell by the interaction and the way they talk to us that they think we just work here. Mm. The perception is that we just work here. It's because somebody came in one day and was like, um, is there a manager I could talk to about possibly doing some catering? Mm. Yeah, how can I help you? Oh, so you're the manager. I said, no, I'm the owner, but how can I help you? See, that's exactly, that's how they- Keep it moving. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's one thing with, um, sometimes with, not bashing ESPN, but sometimes I feel like they kind of paint that picture of us as well. When they have the elite athletes that's getting ready to get drafted, like those college players, they tend to, you know, at times show them as like athletes coming from broken homes. It's like, and then when people see that, it's like, wow, is that really how life is with black people? Story like, sales. Mm -hmm. Like the, the story sales. Mm -hmm. That the whole he came over adversity. His mama was a crackhead. His daddy wasn't around. Exactly. It makes people stay in front of their TV. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you, the draft is this week, so I, I guarantee you it'll be some kind of story that they bring up about how somebody, one of the kids came from a broken home mm -hmm. or, or different things like and that. And always pay attention to who their savior is. Mm -hmm. That was the one thing I hated about the blind side. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember the football player's Michael name. Orr. Yeah. Michael Orr. Michael mm -hmm. If you really look at that, it was less about his ability to overcome, and it was more about that white woman saving him. Bottom mm -hmm. line. Oh yeah, because it just seemed like she was kind of like the, the 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 key, the star of the movie. And if you go back and listen to him talk about the movie, he talks about the fact that they over exaggerated certain things, but he realized that it was Hollywood and that's what they do. Versus now, people have a perception of his life and that the base storyline was accurate. But mm -hmm. that there was lots of exaggeration because it makes for good Hollywood. Yeah, they have to fabricate it so much, and that's something. And it's like we're we're not we're more than these stories that they portray us as. And like like a lot of slave movies, like a lot of times you see that those are the movies that we were known for getting Grammys and all those for. And it's like why how, why do we always have to be a slave in in order to get a Grammy or? Well, you see how Halle won her Oscar. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'd have gave like, it back. Yeah. But <laughs> it's always it some it's always something like that that makes us get the recognition when we can do so much, so much more than that. And her role as this broken black woman mm-hmm. who has what they considered an amazing sex scene with a white man, mm-hmm. she wins an Oscar for a movie that was subpar at exactly. best. Mm-hmm. And a son, the father was in prison, and it's he like get the, run over, like mm-hmm. it's always he it's was always something. He mm-hmm. was our savior. Few more questions. I'm sorry, I know Cam. <laughs> Cam has had a long day. That's one of the reasons why we got here a little late. Um, we actually, so the shop was open. We were running a satellite location today, so he's been up since about five thirty. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, well, how do you feel about Cam? Like, how much have you seen him grow since the beginning of the start of his own business? I think that was the fascinating part. So we have done every therapy known to man. We've done play therapy, behavior therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy. I mean, you name it, we've done it. And none of it was really impactful. So when he started doing coffee on the weekend, it was just weekend at my girlfriend's hair salon. I was very intentional about the things that he did, the things that he worked on. Um, And so we saw more improvement in maybe two months in doing the the stuff with running his own business and all the therapy we had ever been in. Mm. But the... The most intriguing thing was not only did we see it, but he could feel the difference. The the notion to go on and start an actual business was his idea. I didn't know a lot about coffee. We had a little Keurig machine. He was selling cups of coffee using K-cups. So you ordered coffee, he used a K-cup. He'd make you a cup of coffee. If you wanted a latte, he added a lot of cream and sugar and put some whipped cream on top (laughs) and voila, you got a latte. That was it. Nothing, the business itself had no depth, no nothing. Um, he decided that he wanted to be able to help other people like him. And so we kind of just threw around, okay, can we make this happen? Um, even if you talk to Cam now, you can understand him. Um, cause we've been in speech therapy for years. When we started Cam's coffee, you absolutely could not understand him. You couldn't understand what he was saying so much that he didn't, he had a little piece of paper with all your options on it. I laminated it so it was like dry erase. The only thing he said good or well enough for you to understand was good morning, may I help you? That was all he said. Then he would give you his little menu. He had his little dry erase marker and you checked the box of what you wanted. He would bring the, the menu back to me. I'd help him make the order. He'd take the order back out to the customer. That's how he did it. That was just how it worked. Mm-hmm. Well, if you talk to him now, not only does he talk well, but he talks all the time. <laughs> That's and, awesome. and it comes directly from having intentional contact versus being in speech therapy. And I'm not, you know, downplaying the the benefit of speech therapy. It absolutely was a benefit, but he needed a meaningful environment to practice what he's learning mm-hmm. in speech therapy. So supportive customers, people, um, that environment I could control. Everybody knew he was in speech therapy. So I would remind the girls in the shop, hey, when Cam talks to you, if he doesn't make eye contact, if he looks down, just give him a gentle reminder. Mm-hmm. So they'd be like, hey, Cam, I'm glad to see you today. Remember, you got to look at me when you talk to right. me. And so he'd pick his head up and he'd talk. Because I'm controlling the environment. Then we got to the point where we're doing pop-up shops where I don't control the environment. Mm-hmm. you got to navigate your way. So as a parent, you have to decide what this is going to look like. You have to be intentional about the course. You have to be intentional about the outcome. You decide what happens. And so because I'm going to be honest, my goal is selfish. My goal is that one day both of them are going to move out. <laughs> and if I don't give them certain skill sets, they're gonna be home forever. Mm-hmm. I'm not living with them forever. Right. So I'm determined to give them this, even if it's just across the street, and I gotta look out the blinds to make sure everything all right. They as long as they're gone, <laughs> they're gonna have everything they need to move out, and they're gonna have enough money to hire people to do whatever they can't do for themselves. Right. If you need a cook over there, pay them. If you need somebody to cut their grass over there, pay them. You got the money. Yes, so we're not gonna be limited. By the things that you can't do, you mm-hmm. don't focus on what you can do. What you can't do, pay somebody. Absolutely. How how do you feel the community has been receptive to Cam and and, and everyone? Oh, here? it's been awesome. 
It's been amazing. I think once people hear our story, they connect with the genuineness of not only did he have his own set of issues, but he's still ticking away of those issues while giving an opportunity for somebody else to feel just as important and successful as he does. So he's like the underdog fighting for the underdog. And so the com our community has been awesome. Like some of our very first contracts, which we still have, um, came from four. Mm -hmm. Some of our very first contracts came from a local organization called Venture Cafe, and it fosters entrepreneurship. We've been there for over a year now, and they pay him to come in and serve coffee every week. He's there every Thursday from 4 to 7.30. That was how he sustained himself when he first started, because he had this money that he could count on. Like clockwork. Mm -hmm. um, and then he, the next thing we did was he made his own bags of coffee. Those were the first jobs we offered. We didn't have location. We were just doing pop-ups, but we, we shipped coffee nationwide. So that was um, the next step. So our community would come around and rally. In order to open this space, we needed to raise $18,000. I think we raised, I'm going to round it up. We raised $12,000 in 60 days. That's great. 85% of that money came out of this community. Other people in other places saw our story online and would give, but 85% of that money came from this community and from people we did not know. Right. I could That's look awesome. at the donor list and most of those people aren't people we knew. That's huge. Yep. What would you say you've learned the most about just being in business? What's the biggest lesson you've learned? I think um, mm, that's a good one. I would have to say the biggest thing that I've learned is my own personal strength and fortitude. Mm -hmm. And granted, it comes from a different place because I'm a mom trying to show my kids that we have no limits. Mm -hmm. And it forces me to do business like I have no limits. Like I go into meetings and make decisions and demands. Some of it I know, and some of it I don't. But I'm trying to show the generation behind me that this is what it takes to get to where we want to be. Absolutely. And so I think it's to be fearless. Like I've made lots of decisions with shaky knees. I've made lots of decisions not being 100% sure. Mm -hmm. But I knew a decision had to be made and right or wrong, it was going to be my decision and I was going to own it. Um, so I think being in business for myself has taught me a type of fearless, a fearlessness and some and some real self-resilience about every business I've done hasn't been successful, mm -hmm. but it's never stopped me from doing another one. Absolutely. Never stopped. And you me. just learn from you it. Like learn you, from it. you roll with the punches. There have been some things that you could have never told me I'd have made a bunch of money from, and I did. And there's been some things that by on paper, the industry, statistics, everything about this says it should work. And it did. Mm -hmm. But you're doing what most people are afraid to do is just take that chance. Take it's the like, chance. We just want to stay safe and, you know, not risk anything, you know, just get our stated paycheck and that's, that's it. We um, kind of blow off some of the things, you know, there's some cliches in our community that we say all the time, and we just kind of blow them off. Well, you've heard a million times in our community, scared money don't make money. That's a real thing mm -hmm. because scared money will make you put it back in your pocket. Mm -hmm. You ain't willing to risk it. I'm willing to risk it mm -hmm. because I know at worst, it's going to leave me right where I am. Mm -hmm. What do I have to lose? But at best, it's going to create something for me that I ain't never had. Absolutely. I don't have anything to lose. Mm -hmm. Everything ain't going to fall apart. I'm just going to be exactly where I am today. Mm -hmm. But taking the risk could possibly put me somewhere that I never thought I'd yeah, be. Yeah. One of my uh, great friends I said with Mr. Ben Hall, he, one of the things he told us off camera was he's like, man, because he has a uh, dessert. He has his own shop, Big mm -hmm. Ben's Dessert. And uh, he was just um, saying, you know, man, you know what? Just looking around, and this was before he actually had his storefront. He was just cook, baking out of his home. He's like, you know what? If, if my business doesn't work out, he said, I can always go get a job at the end of the day. I can always go back and get a job. I can always go teach. And maybe, like, I'll say maybe six months later from baking out of his home, he ended up having a storefront. And, and he's still going and speaking engagements, everything. Absolutely. And one of the things he said during our interview was, you know, had I not stepped out on faith and, and quit my job, this wouldn't have happened for me because I could have just stayed at my job and just made a steady income, 
Hey, he said he had no kids, he had a nice place to stay. He said, had I just kept doing the same thing, I would have never had any of this stuff. He said, you may not even be here interviewing me had we had I not stepped out on faith and it, it took that chance. I'm going to tell you something. Being comfortable is the worst thing you can be. Mm -hmm. When you're comfortable, you have no need to do more. And I'm like, if I got a job, I got a house, I got bills, and I got a job that meets all of that. I don't feel the pressure to do anything else. I'm comfortable. Exactly. I'm good. It's only when you're uncomfortable, and it ain't got to be because of a lack of money. There could just be something inside of you that says, we better than this, or we deserve more mm -hmm. than this. It ain't got to be a deficit. It's, it, it could be anything. But the moment you get uncomfortable with your circumstances, whether it's from um, social justice to raising your, the moment you get uncomfortable, you start to move. Mm -hmm. And you have, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And but we say it all the time, and I know I say this in a lot of my interviews as well, is that when we when we go to work, me and Calvin, we, we work together. So in the mornings we go in, it's weird because everybody, you know, goes clock in and then they just go fall in line and do the same thing every day. So when we talk to each other, we're like, man, we got to do more than this. I was like, this is just not it because it's like we just feel like robots and just 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 doing the same thing over and over in that same daily routine when it's like some people never question that. Like right. they're just comfortable and that's it for them. They just want to go in, do the same thing, clock out, go home and, and do the same thing over they again and the next day. They're eat a good meal. Yeah. They're going to look at a little Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to be People, and they love Game of Thrones. Well, not me. I don't, I don't yeah, watch. I I, that is my one guilty pleasure is Game of Thrones. Yeah, my father and my brother, they both watch Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. my, my One of my favorite shows is Power. I, I love to watch My Power. husband loves Power. I've seen bits and pieces, but it ain't like Game of Thrones. I've seen every episode. Yeah, everybody says Game, Game of Thrones is, is really good. Um, just a couple more questions. I know we got to get out of here. Um, any other future business endeavors that you have? Yes. So um, Cam is actually going to open up a second location. Um, he's going to open up a location in a, in a local hospital. Um, in another county. So he's got that going on. Um, they're throwing around the idea. All of them own something separate. None of them own any, they don't own anything collective. That's a collective effort. So they're throwing around the idea of doing something collective. Um, and it's so funny. So when you talk about the entrepreneurial mindset, when they throw around the ideas of what they're going to do, they ask questions like, okay, how much money do we have to have to get started? Um, how much time we got to you know, put in, how much money we're going to make. So they're basically asking, what's the initial investment? What's the return on the investment? What's the time compensation like? That's not how they're saying, but that's what they're saying. Mm -hmm. They think and they talk in business terms because that's how they operate. Mm -hmm. um, this summer, we are doing what we're calling the Young CEO Boss Camp. And that is a camp where we offer in two separate programs. One, we have lots of kid entrepreneurs in our community. So one program is for existing kid entrepreneurs where we'll um, connect them with a business mentor and some other resources in the city to help them scale their business. So at the end of the two weeks, they should have some tangible things for marketing and branding and sales to increase their revenue. Mm -hmm. And then we're offering another program um, for kids who want to become entrepreneurs. We're offering a program around social entrepreneurship. So they'll learn you know, about the entrepreneur mindset and do some things. But that whole focus of that camp is how do you give back while you make money? Mm -hmm. How can you make a dollar while helping somebody else out? Um, so those are the two programs that we'll run in the summer. What what do you what would you tell people that want to start a business that uh, the one thing they've worried about is the money? It's like I don't have the amount of money that I want right now to start the business. What do you tell those people in those kind of situations? Because that's because money is in most parts the biggest issue of what hinders people from starting. Because they say, well, I don't have enough money to start. What would you tell those people? You don't have to do everything you want to do from the beginning. Find one thing. Like um, we didn't have a storefront. He just knew that he wanted to sell coffee and he wanted to hire people, uh, hire people. So we figure out, figured out what was the cheapest way we could get in so he could at least get started. We found a local company that people love a story. Hollywood ain't the only place that love a story. When we take him and we tell him who he is, what he's doing, what he's trying to do, he 
people gladly help. Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, we could do this for you this much. Our marketing, we had a marketing company reach out to us and say, we'll do anything you need us to do for free. Wow. You can't get help if there's nothing to help. Exactly. You don't know who's out there who's got the time, the energy, or the money who's willing to help you. When we got ready to, um, we were renting a space, but it wasn't ours, and we just had a lot of um, issues we had to work around to use the space when we first set up. When we got ready to move over here, we weren't investor ready. Like what investors look for, we found somebody who just, and he found us. He just liked what we were doing and the fact that we hadn't let the that we face stop us from doing it and he gave us a check for twenty thousand dollars wow we didn't have to show him no financials we didn't have to show him nothing he was just sold on what you got he was sold to the on mm -hmm. the people who were working the business mm -hmm. a lot of times a business plan don't mean nothing if the joker working the business plan can't pull it off it's true lots of times people will buy into you so you got to do something for people to see that you're working Absolutely. But find something small. What can you do? If you make cakes, what one cake can you make? It don't have to be 20 cakes. And then you decide, is it better to sell it the whole cake or sell it by the slice? So if you sell one cake a day, you make enough money to make another cake tomorrow. That's true. Do something. Mm -hmm. And that, that's kind of what we what we do, you know, just starting out. You know, I don't have a lot of money and just pouring into this and coming in. And um. Honestly, and I'll be honest, we don't we don't have any sponsors at this moment. That's mm -hmm. one of the goals is to kind of figure out ways to do sponsorship. But when I, I still reach out to people, and um, you know, just that's part of me just stepping out of my comfort zone, and saying, "Hey, would you be willing to you know do an interview?" Gotcha. And I and I tell everybody what I'm doing and what I've had to overcome because I always apply for different jobs. Because me, I felt like when I graduated from college, I was just going to be able to get a job at ESPN right, like right off the bat, right. especially covering the Hornets and Panthers. But it didn't work that way. And um, so I was like, for me, I just had to kind of say, say, you know what? They're not going to give me a chance. Let me create my own opportunity. So some of the, the people that I've been able to sit down with, um, one of them was, you may know, his, um, Shannon McCullough. His dad is, uh, his son is Lil Yachty. Okay. And okay. Um, I actually just reached out to him and, and talked to him. And he's, he was, I told him, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm an independent journalist. Would you be willing to, you know, come on and share your story? He re reached out back out to me and said, hey, I would love to. Um, he was like, I don't do a lot of interviews, but just looking at your profile and looking at listening to your story, I was sold on you because of what you stood exactly. for and everything that you represented. So he said, that's what, because we shot it at his home. And he was just like, I was just sold on you. You made me feel comfortable just even inviting you to my home, even though this is my actual first time sitting down with you and meeting you in person. Just knowing you and what you were doing, I feel comfortable bringing you to my home. And I feel like that's very important as well, just to make sure whatever you whatever you want to do, go all in, put together a great body of work, but also make sure, be careful of how you present yourself too. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. that could end, also be a deal breaker whether you hear a yes or a no as well mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And even if you get the no, don't be scared of the no. I will admit it ain't the yes that motivates me the most. It's, it's no for me. No. Absolutely. When a joker tell me I can't do something or I can't have something, man, please catch me I'm two months from now, yeah. bro. Catch and me actually, two from now. The, the job at the radio station, I actually went up there a year before and um, I went and gave my resume and they turned me down then. So I was like, okay. Since I didn't get it this time, let me figure out something else I could do. So then I went back to my school and um, and they let me do some production stuff with videos and cameras and everything. So then like a year later, um, I ended up writing for BlackSportsOnline.com as well. And I went back up there, put, I had all of that on my resume. And I went up there in person again and said, here's my resume. And um, they reached out to one of my mentors and they gave him um, the yes, said I was a great kid. And um, that's actually you know, how I got the job the second year because um, when I went back and they saw everything that I was doing and my mentor, that was like my foot in the door. Right. But if you had quit, if you had let the no make you feel like you couldn't do it, this one industry for you, I'm just going to walk away, I'm going to do something else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's um something I'm actually writing a book, and that's something I might have to cut this out of the interview, is uh that um, one of the things I've said in my book is no may not be what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear. Oh, absolutely. Because it forces you to go back to the drawing board and figure out what you can do next time around. That way, when people come back to you, well, they'll come back to you and asking you for help and what and how can they um, be a service to you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
But my my one final my last question before we get out of here is what would you say is your ultimate goal? My ultimate goal is to raise a generation of entrepreneurs by my behind me who take the world by storm. Like I want my kids to have the most beautiful impact on earth in whatever they decide to do. Um, because I feel like my husband and I have given them values based on family, based on, um, you know, education, skill sets and community. Um, but they know that the power really comes. You got to have some money. Mm-hmm. Like the only way you have a significant impact is you got to have some influence. Um, so women and I got together who all owned um, food service type businesses in the city because we felt like we weren't being heard. Like they're making all these decisions that's directly affecting our business, like closing the highway right here. So now cars can't get to us. So they go to another part of the city to shop. So when we pulled together, we realized that between us, we employed 350 people in this city. That's a small corporation. Mm-hmm. We realize that collectively we bring in a revenue of $3.8 million a year. That's a small, and we're talking about 10 women, mm-hmm. maybe 12. So let's say 12 women who each own some sort of small business. That's a small corporation. So the city gets money off of what we bring in our mm-hmm. taxes. The state gets money. So we are a force to be reckoned with. Absolutely. But it's all about the dollars we bring in. Mm-hmm. And so I want the kids, my kids and the other kids that we reach out to realize you can make a significant impact in entrepreneurship gives you tools. It gives you skill sets to go out and make money so your voice can be heard. Absolutely. And Ms. Tosh, I want to thank you so much. Oh, you Cam. I, I appreciate it. I enjoyed this interview. Um, it's like I said, your story is very inspiring. Um, if we can be of any service, please just let us know. Because I would love to come back and help you guys out any way I can. Because these stories like this is what really make us enjoy what we do. Because it's just people need to hear these kind of things. And like I said, a lot of times when you turn on the news, it's always about who's dead. And it's always a negative. But anything that's positive, you, you they may play it for a few seconds. Yep. And then it's back to the negative again. But it's these stories right here. That we need to hear more of, especially of our own people, because, like I said, a lot of times they see us as just entertainers and athletes. Yeah. But we're more than that. We're more than job, and we're 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 leaders in our community. We're entrepreneurs. So Absolutely. I just really love what you guys are doing, and we'll definitely be back to help you guys out any way we Thank can. Thank you. We certainly well, appreciate it. Before we get out of here, can you tell everybody how to find you guys? Absolutely. You can find us on all things social media under Cam's Coffee Company. Um, you can find our website at camscoffeecreations.com, but on Instagram and Facebook with Cam's Coffee Co. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Until next time, keep chasing dreams. This is the Cross the Line Podcast. Thank you for listening.